Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Hello, my friends. I hope everybody's doing really well today. I want to talk about working in a care community or group home today. The reason I want to discuss this is because so often caregivers that are professional or maybe you're not a professional, maybe you've been kind of hired off the street, you have no help whatsoever, you have no experience at what you're about to embark on. Um, I think that happens more often than not. And uh, care communities, assisted living, group homes are all hiring like crazy right now because nobody seems to want to work and, and they're doing everything they can and often hiring people through agencies that are temp agencies and hoping those people work out and maybe they can convince them to come to work for them. I see this over and over and over at, at communities in the Colorado area for sure. I'm sure it's happening nationwide. I'm sure it's happening worldwide with this COVID. I mean, nothing has been easy. Nothing. So when it comes to working in a community like that, where would you start? How would you even begin to know what to do with with folks? Well, of course, I want you to learn about the diseases themselves. Please don't go in and work at some community and not have ever picked up a book about Alzheimer's or frontal temporal or Parkinson's or something. Educate yourself a little bit, for God's sakes. Go on Google you know, ask Alexa to explain the disease to you, the top symptoms or something like that, whatever you need to do, but get yourself a little bit of background so you can, you know, work well in this community and try to build on what knowledge you're going to start to to grow and hopefully learn a little bit more about why people act the way they do and what you need to do to act and not react. And so when you get there, hopefully you'll have a little bit more information about how the diseases work and what symptoms look like and what the presentations are like. But then the next thing you need to do is gather information about the residents that you'll be working with. So you'll need to gather accurate and current information. They may have done some type of a uh, assessment prior to the person coming into the community. And oftentimes families will provide an enormous amount of information about the foods that person likes to eat, um, their behaviors that they exhibited at home before they came there, um, you know, how they like to bathe or shower and, and things like that. But depending on the amount of time that person's been in that community, all that information could have changed. And so last week, I talked about how to do reassessments. Um, but that was really more for um, 
admin and family members and doctors and so on and so forth reassessing a person that uh, is in a memory unit or has cognitive loss, memory loss due to whatever type of dementia they have. But in this case, we're going to back up the bus and start from, you know, the very beginning. So many people come in with zero training. So reassessment doesn't even matter to you at this point. You just need to get to know these folks and and figure out how you can provide and establish a supportive relationship with them and make sure that you can can make them feel safe, you can help them be secure because the the person with dementia is unable to give you that information. They're not going to be able to provide you with the information that you need because the intellectual thought and the spontaneity of conversation is not there anymore. So it's your responsibility as a as a caregiver to be constantly alert to to really have maybe an insatiable curiosity about that person. Who were they? Look at the pictures on the wall in their rooms. Um, talk to family members. Try to try to figure out, you know, is this a person that's always wearing jewelry every day or once her, once her makeup put on? Is this a guy who's wearing a sweater vest or a suit, you know, uh, to come down to breakfast? He must have been a businessman. What did he do? That can help you in many, many ways to engage that person in conversation and to also find meaningful engagement throughout the day so that you can talk with them and help calm them if they're having any problems and, um, you know, relieve any stress that they are having because you know a little bit about them. So, I mean, you may learn that that person was an actor back in the day or was a famous musician or was a principal at, at a local school or was a doctor or a nurse or whatever. And how can you utilize that to help them be successful in a community. So I'll give you an example. Um, I had a nurse move into uh, a community here in Denver. And that community, which is great with person-centered care, um, uh, Spring Ridge Park, assisted living, uh, they, they started giving that nurse a chart every day so she could walk around as the nurse who was giving out medications was on her rounds. And they would let this resident write down whatever notes she want and confer with them about things that really weren't accurate or pertinent to that resident's information, but giving her the feeling that she was actually still caring for that person. And that gave her meaningful engagement and helped her to continue to you know, carry on her life's work. And because in her mind, she had gone back in time, it was really beneficial to engage her at a time when she still thought she was working. So we're always talking about meeting that person where they are. And and that's exactly what I'm talking about in this particular case, right? So what we're trying to do is figure out you know, what were their experiences? What are their talents? What are their abilities? And and really the essential characteristics of their personality. You have to know that to be an effective caregiver. You have to. 
So, you know, today I want to talk about, you know, a variety of perspectives that we get when we look at the person's personal information regarding their history, their personality traits, and things that seriously determine to a, a to a great degree how that person reacts to stimulation and then help us to always have that ongoing appraisal of their cognitive abilities and do those functional assessments like I talked about last week that evaluate not only what that person can and cannot do, but also how they draw on old memories and retained abilities somewhere in the deep recesses of their brain to get things done and to be able to participate in activities and not be stymied by, you know, any lost ability they have. So the more you know about them, the better off you are, okay? And one of the things about old age is that it makes people look more and more alike sometimes than they are different. You know, are they all hunched over and walking? Are they all holding baby dolls in the in the front room? You know, are are they are they really that different from one another? They like the same they like the same music to a degree, you know. In in care communities today, you might hear more 50s music and 60s music and stuff like that. That's going to be changing soon with the next generation that's going to be in care communities. They're going to be <laughs> listening to metal and rap and 70s music and, and 80s music and stuff like that. So we have to change with the times. And for the most part, most of them have gray hair. Most of them have the same style of dress. They've all shrunk. <laughs> They're not as tall as they used to be. Um, you know, as people get older, uh, sometimes they get a little chunkier and we see a lot more people that are a little more heavy set. And we start thinking that these people are kind of all alike. And you need to not do that. You need to look for what makes each one of those people their own individual person, their own personality. And, you know, like I said, there are, there are programs, there are things you can Google about people with Alzheimer's disease and other related illnesses. Um, and, you know, how it affects people ranging in age from like 60 to 95. That's a span of, you know, almost two generations. And you can't possibly lump everybody into the same characteristics, the same ball of wax. It just doesn't work that way. I think caregivers, when they come in to a new community and have never had any training in this in this area, tend to look more at people as though they are all the same. and it and it happens because, you often come into a task-centered environment where everything is about timing throughout the day. It's about what time everybody gets up and gets showered. It's about what time everybody comes down for breakfast. Everybody eats the same thing. It's the same 
one activity at 9 a.m. It's lunch at 11 or 11.30. And again, everybody eats the same thing. Everybody goes into the lunchroom at the same time. So every, it all starts getting really gray. It all starts getting really skewed. There's no variety in your mind, right? But that is not accurate. I mean, there's there's a variety of personalities. You have people that don't want to sit with other people because they're quiet and they're reserved and they just want to kind of be by themselves or sit by a window and look at the birds or or feel the air on their face. And you have other people who are actively engaging. They're, they're you know, outgoing extrovert type people that talk, 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 because that's a, that's a characteristic and a presentation of a symptom of, of Alzheimer's where people talk a lot. They just talk and talk. And that would drive another person who is more of a reserved uh, person, you know, nuts during the lunch hour. Learning who these people are and and what you can about them is important. Now, how does that interact with the people that you're working with? When you're in the lunchroom, when you're in the break room, it would behoove you to go in and say, hey, Sally over there seems like she's not comfortable with a lot of people at lunch. So maybe we need to put her with a couple of people who are quiet. I call that responsive care. That's learning to recognize and accommodate the differences between people because the person themselves is not going to be able to volunteer a lot of information. They're not. You have to acknowledge their individuality. You have to acknowledge each person's life and times and and experiences and And build that into your work, the way that you talk to them. Maybe there are people that want to be sort of left alone or or want you to sit and read a book to them so they can sit quietly and, and they aren't able to read anymore. Or you may have people that want to sing with you and engage with you and walk down the, the um, hallways with you. And you need to share that information with the caregivers that you're working with and draw information from them. What do they know about the guy in room 304 that you don't know if you're going to have to go work with that guy someday? Share information with one another. Don't let the people that you're caring for become a number. Don't don't do that because if you if you're gonna do that you're gonna get out burn out quickly, and that's where you start sort of forcing people to take those showers or go down for breakfast even if they don't want to. You have less understanding about the fact that maybe they want to uh, stay in bed for a couple of hours. They don't feel good today, and maybe get up at lunchtime when they're feeling a little bit better. Maybe they're just not social anymore. And I'm telling you, the social and historical information that you can collect from the time that person is admitted to any any community, any program, any daycare thing, it may seem adequate at the time that you pull it in. But it's usually given 
from family members in like a block of information kind of situation. They're having to fill out a bunch of paperwork um, so that there can be a care plan meeting and an assessment that uh, is predicated on um, a doctor saying, yes, this person belongs in a in a memory unit and then and then they move in. And that that information is given at a stressful time for the family, for the husbands, for the wives, whoever it is. And the relevance of that information may not be completely obvious to the staff who haven't had any experience with that person yet. So sometimes you read it once and you don't go back and look at it. I think if you're an administrator of a community, every day you need to meet at a certain time throughout the day and talk with your staff about something that that you know about that person that happened throughout the day, the way they were eating lunch, the way they uh, participated in an activity or didn't participate in an activity throughout the day. How were they around other people? Were they joining the mean persons club or were they, you know, reacting well to other residents and things like that? And then the staff needs to talk about somebody that they have worked with and something they have learned about that person's history throughout the day, that maybe that person loves the music group, the Eagles, or maybe they loved, you know, Halloween. It was their favorite holiday or... They always made Christmas gifts for their grandkids and stuff like that um, or for family members. They might be better to engage in, in crafts and things like that when you have those types of activities. But they may not like bingo. Not everybody is the same. It It's really, really different. So, you know, you you probably need at some point in time, I would say – you know, every couple of months, send out a questionnaire to the family to see if there's anything else that they know of that will help promote a sense of security and inclusion, affection, the way you can work with that person and and sort of control the control the narrative a little bit better. Because even if that person is aphasic, you know, they don't, they can't, they have um, aphasia, they can't speak very well, they still can feel, okay? They still can feel, they can still talk to you. And a couple of things, hugs, love, uh, being able to smile at you, to hold your hand, to say hello to people, that and their sweet taste buds are two of the things that stick around longest for people. So it's important if we know something about that person, right? So how would we ever know when somebody's distressed, when somebody needs to um, get a hug or have somebody pray, pray with them before they settle down into bed each night? The only way you would possibly know that is to know the circumstances of that woman's life. Did she go to church on Sundays all the time? Did she go on Saturday night? Did she go to confession every so often? Do we have a, do we have a prayer service um, 
of many delineations, you know, at your community? Do you have somebody come in that maybe is a priest and another who's who's more um, unilateral or, you know, what do you have? It, it To be really useful, you have to have a variety of information and you have to have it on an ongoing basis. And the most effective way to encourage other staff members to maintain, you know, ongoing contact with families and ask questions is to have a good policy in place that involves families to come in for regular meetings. Maybe you have a a family focus group that can tell you, you know, um, what is important to families upon move-in or what has become more important over time for these family members and let the staff or ask your administrator if you can sit in on that class or that that social group after your shift is over or can you come back later in the evening and part and maybe sit in on a support group with the family you know there's other ways of encouraging families to give you that vital information and and that's the best way to do it to ask them to be a part of a of a social focus group um a family a family group on behalf of the community and and continue to get ideas from them of what they need as that person progresses what do they as a family need? Do they need more understanding of the disease process? If so, you as a caregiver need to embark on a journey to learn that, to be able to talk to them about the various stages of the disease and where they are in, in, that, in that place and time. Because the bottom line is, you know, families can dec- decorate the room with the person's, you know, personal belongings, pictures, trophies, medals, um, you know, an urn with their husband's, you know, ashes in it or something like that. Those give you some idea. They give you a glimpse into that person's history. But even asking the family if they could build on that and maybe bring a photo album that are labeled with people's names and stuff like that and make it available to the staff and volunteers who spend time with that person, that will help you to to really see a glimpse in that into that person's life when they were well. It's imperative. So as you're coming in and you're and you think, gosh, I don't know anything, please don't go with just what time of day everything has to be done on a routine. It really helps if you can build that relationship with the family and and be supportive for them and understand when they're struggling to leave and take that person and redirect them and take them for a walk down the hall so a family member can leave. And next time they come in, acknowledge the fact that you recognize that this is painful and hard for them. All this will make your job much more rewarding. Don't just get a job like this 
and go clock in. Because I'll tell you, all you'll do is become frustrated and angry. And sometimes it can create a situation of abuse where your boss is just on you, on you, on you about getting all these people showered and ready for breakfast. And if everybody's not down for breakfast, we're not making anything extra for anybody else. That is not the kind of place that people should work. You should come in off the street and learn as much as you can about the diseases themselves, the impact on the person that has the diagnosis, and the the way it affects their family from a psychological and emotional standpoint. And the more you learn to communicate with the family, they will give you insight into that person, which will make your job easier and more enjoyable. That's the name of the game. That's the name of the game. I get so many questions about uh, caregivers and how do they get someone to shower or how do they how do they get someone to go down and go to the bathroom and how do they change their clothes? You do that by learning that person's language. And I don't mean English or French. I mean what what do they display as as their personality traits? What do they show you? in terms of who they are. They give you clues all day long if you just watch and write notes and put it in their charts and share that information with your coworkers. Because I'm telling you, the staff of long-term care facilities and day programs are really ridiculously shy about asking personal questions. I think frequently they feel they don't have the time, they don't have the responsibility, the permission, or even the skill to dig out that information. And the residents or the participant, whoever it is with the diagnosis, um, they are not able to provide very much information. So, you know, what happens then is exercises intended to either provoke thought processes about how well they really know the person uh, for their quality of life or to be uh, just kind of there to put food in front of them or get them up to play bingo or or. Or just get the day over as fast as you can. Make a decision about what you want to do with that. Because the idea of giving staff members information so they can adequately and effectively work with people versus a mandate of just time, uh, activity, lunch, blah, 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 um, isn't going to help you learn about that personal information or the history of that person. If you just want a job where you are coming in and clocking in, find different work to do. But if you want to learn this, consider it a vocation. Only work with people with these various dementias if you have the love in your heart and the compassion to do it. 
Don't just do it as a job you can find. There are plenty of jobs you can find all over the country right now. Every business is hiring. Don't pick caring for someone if you just want to clock in. We'll be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, I'm trying to provide some helpful information today about if you are in a job where you maybe have no experience and you have come in hired off the street to work with people with Alzheimer's, I guess we could relate this to home care workers as well. I mean, absolutely. But the idea here being that you would work with other people um, and share information with them and and try various techniques and see what you can learn about that person. So when I teach classes, I have two components to it. I have classroom exercises and a field component where I break it into, you know, kind of modules of people being able to role play, um, get up and and try to help someone get dressed or help someone brush their teeth and and things like that. Um, And then also going along with them as they are visiting the residents that are under their charge and seeing how they work with people. Now, typically, I will confess that I will ask the administrator who has hired me to come in and do the eight-hour classes to let me come in and follow or just observe people in their work environment. Um, So I will tell them that I am a uh, family member of so-and-so. You know, and maybe I'll go over and sit and talk with a person and and I have already learned from the administrator 
a bit about that person so that I can have a conversation that sounds like I actually know them so that everybody around me just continues with their, what they're doing, not paying any attention to me being there. That tells me a lot. And then when I get them back in a classroom situation, I do breakouts and workshops so that I can say, tell me what you know about one particular person and there are four of you in a breakout and you cannot use the same person. You have to – everybody has to have a different person. And sometimes they find that difficult and I'm often surprised people that have worked in a community sometimes for three or four years have no freaking idea about anything about a person on their ward and other people know every single person in all their business. Those are the people you need to tap into. Who knows everything about the family members? Who knows everything about that person's information? And be like them. It's kind of like a be like Mike theory. You want to be like the person that really is the best caregiver and and can help you with some strategies and techniques sometimes when somebody's upset. And and get to know, did that person down the hall, uh, you know, Fran, did she live in Paris? And what was her life like there? And does she speak French? And, you know, things like that. Because when they go back in time, that may be the only language they can speak at some point. And maybe you need to have some kind of a translation tool so when she says something to you, instead of saying, well, I just don't know French and she always talks French, put it through your translation tool on your phone and figure out what she's saying. So these are the kind of things that I try to teach, right? And so if you can share that information in the classroom about you know, what would they want their caregiver to know about themselves? Oh, that's always such a good one. When I say, if you ever find yourself with Alzheimer's, what would it be important for somebody to know about you? And I'll tell you what, they they just kick right into to uh, motion. They Everybody livens up. When you're talking about yourself, people love to do that. In today's me, me, me world, people love to do that. That's one of the the workshops that wake people up. So I typically do it after lunch when people are feeling really tired or worn down or a little bit sleepy. So I say, if you had this diagnosis, what would somebody need to know about you to be able to care for you? Super effective. Super effective. Because they will tell me things. And I can give them clues like... Um, one of the things that I will throw out in, as an example or use as a second workshop in the classroom is um, when do you like to bathe or shower? I often have heard that people that come from uh, East Indian countries or or even the African countries, they say things like they shower twice a day. They shower first thing in the morning and they shower before they go to bed at night. I hear over and over that prayer is important to them. I have heard crazy things. Like a guy told me he sleeps with a bag of ice between his knees. That one blew my mind. So when I ask people those kinds of things, all of a sudden we get direct conversation, right? We get we get uh, people engaging 
They start telling you. And then when you say, tell me about one of your residents, do you know how they like to bathe? Do they like to bathe twice a day? Have you ever asked them if prayer is important to them? Did you ever just stop? I mean, that's something that's important to you. Why would you think it might not be important to somebody else? How many times have you ever even asked that question? And you know what answer I get? Zero. Zero. So, again, one of the first things you can do when you come into a community is do a little reflection on yourself. What what is my daily routine? What kind of foods do I like to eat? How would I feel if somebody put something in front of me that I don't like? What if they gave me asparagus? What if they gave me mashed potatoes and I've never eaten mashed potatoes because I didn't want that starch and carbs? Don't think because a person has some degenerative brain disease and memory loss and cognitive impairment that the things that they liked in their life don't matter. As a matter of fact, they moved into this community and every everybody started forcing them into some tunnel vision of what is going to happen each day with no ability at all to change that directive, to change the food that they get, to make sure that they're, they're offering three or four things a day for the breakfast and for the lunch and for the dinner. Um, and you could say, hey, I know Fred over here is has always been a sandwich person, so let's get him a sandwich instead of something he doesn't like. Maybe he doesn't want, you know, baked chicken every day with broccoli. Maybe he wants a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. These things are very true. These things are are things that happen all the time. So in the field component of this, right, what I'm asking them is, have you looked at any community records? Have you looked at any history books or gone in the library or Googled the person that you're caring for? Why would that even be important? You Google everybody else. You want to know who wrote a song. You want to know, you know, when somebody's next movie is going to come out. Google your people. I'm telling you, we're all on Google somewhere. You can learn a lot about somebody just throwing their name up on a, on a search. And then when they get into that that on-the-floor component, are you practicing sharing that information with other people? Are you trying to approach one of uh, their family members and talk to them? Have, what... what experience are you gaining with this process? Collect as much information as you possibly can about one specific resident over a a given period of time. And then make appointments maybe with their visitors and have individual time to talk to them, maybe interview them a little bit, uh, and and learn a little bit more about that person through their family members, 
and really try to become an expert on the life and times of a given resident. And then once you do that, present that information to your team members. Do it at that 2 o'clock hour, that shift change hour that I was talking about. This is what I train. This is how I teach people to work with, with folks with various dementias. And if you're ever in one of my classes, that's what I would ask you to do. Learn about that person and then share it. It can be super stimulating to staff members at all levels. It can help you engage better with your administrators. It can help you engage better with the nurse on staff. Engage the housekeeping staff on all of this too. Have them be a part of all this so that they can learn a little bit more. There's nobody should enter a memory unit without being trained in some way, shape, or form. And today is all about if nobody ever gave you that or they gave you some stupid online training that has no pertinent information and no no access to reality of how how the memory unit rolls, um, then and then stopping there and just going to work every day, you're going to fall into the task-centered pl- way, and that is what we're trying to change. We don't want to do that anymore. The object is to highlight the need to learn about the individual who's dependent on you and everybody else on the staff and try to identify a variety of ways you can use the information that you found to engage that person. So as an example, if you know that person loved music, sing with them. Play music, different types of music in the morning, maybe something that gets them up and and moving around, and then maybe something calmer at night. Uh, You can dance with that person. That's a second way that you can work with that person. You can use it as trivia. Um, you, can, you can employ that information in, in an activity session by asking questions about specific songs and maybe what their meaning were back in the day or, you know, um, patriotic songs or Christmas songs or, you know, ways that you can bring multiple varieties on the same subject but being able to utilize everything about that medium of music with them. That can translate to literally everything, everything that that person needs to know. You know, it is so important. This information is so important. If you were being admitted into a long-term care facility, what would you want them to know? How would you feel living there yourself and being cared for by people who don't know anything about you? How would you like to do that now? How would you like to go and be in a situation where you have to stay somewhere for a few days, a week or something at a a time and nobody knows you? Imagine just for a minute the consequences of being called by your nickname and hating it every time they do that 
or not having your bed made the way you want it or having to sleep with a nightlight when you're used to sleeping in the dark. Right? Do you as an administrator have a program to collect this information and continue to give that to your staff? If you don't, you better make one. And if you come into a community and they're not sharing that information, that's a way you can shine. That's a way you can say, how about if we make some kind of a program where we have to learn information and have it start with, you know, what we are learning about the way we have preferences and our own history and our own routines and how does that translate to a person that you are working with, a resident. And then the next step to all of this is having staff members get to know each other. This idea of being able to just come in and this is not my job theory is crap. Oh, it makes me so angry when I come into a community and somebody looks at me and says, that's not my job. Somebody over there is sitting and crying and they need some attention, but that's not my job. Oh, no, 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 no. It's everybody's job. And the concept that gathering this personal information is just about demographics, that it doesn't have an impact on the relationships and, and, and everything that's going on is completely wrong. So one way I do that with my classes that I was telling you about is I have a session about a way of learning a little more about each other and looking at how the knowledge of knowing a little bit about your coworkers can affect the way that you work together, the way you interact with each other. The way that you're interacting with the residents. So you could talk about examples of how when you first meet a person, you might feel a certain way about them and then making some assumptions about the way that they look or the way that they act. But once you get to know them and the more you learn something about them, you might find that you have things in common with them that you understand that person a little bit better because now you know their background. So to know each other, to know your coworkers is critical. And if you are teaching a class with your group, what, what I do is I ask if all the participants know each other, a few will say yes. Um, they'll say, yeah, we work together in the memory unit or we're kitchen staff or we're this or we're that, right? And I ask them, tell me something about your coworker that maybe nobody else knows. Or do they have a talent? Do they play guitar? 
Do they like to pray a lot? Um, are they all about their family? Do you know what country they're from? And I ask for a show of hands and try to see who is right about the person that they were talking about. Sometimes I'm surprised um, that people know a little bit more than I think they do, but often they stay in their little niches and they may they may know a little bit about someone, but they don't know a lot. So a good exercise is to say, what city did you grow up in? Or what's your favorite hobby? Um, how well do you know your colleagues? Let's get to know each other a little bit better. I pass out questionnaires. And I go over the questions one at a time. And I encourage the participants to share the information with each other in their in their breakout group. And they only have to share as much information as they want to. You know, just have fun with it. But I ask them to reflect on how knowing each one of these little bits of information changed the changed or affected their feelings towards the person that they're talking to. Do you have anything in common with them? And if you do, kind of share those reflections. It's really shocking to me how much fun they think that is and how when they're learning about each other, they they start having a lot more empathy and thoughtful processes going on. So some of the personal information I ask about is like what habits do they have? Personal grooming, rituals, dressing, food preferences, you know, that kind of thing. Um, what are their values? That really is a kind of a, a fun one because some people don't even know what that means. You know, what's important to you? Is it family? Is it working to put food on the table? Is it having fun in your life? Is it exercising? Is it being good at something? Is it being a thoughtful person? What are your values? And then I ask them, what are their fears? Is it like a loss of money, loss of independence, being in the dark? Are they afraid of ghosts? What is it? And then I ask them to talk about that information. Once they fill it out, they share it with the people in the group. And they and the coworkers start learning about each other and being able to really think of it in a different way. And it it really sheds light on the fact that they need to do the same kind of thing with the residents. What are your strengths? What special skills do you have? What talents do you have? What are your weaknesses? Do you have a temper? Do you get your feelings hurt a lot? If somebody's not paying attention to you or doesn't answer you, doesn't text you back, doesn't answer your phone calls, does that upset you? Well, how do you think residents feel if they're trying to say something to you and you just walk away? What if they're trying to express to you an unmet need because of their impairment? You don't understand it, so you're not addressing it correctly. How does that translate to you in your own life. You will be amazed the parallels and how it will change the way you care for somebody. 
Look at yourself. And when you do these exercises as a group, it helps you to translate that and think about it in terms of the people you're caring for. Another one of those things that I do is I give them a little checklist of their own information, right? Um, What is their nickname? What's the best thing about me? I was born where? I lived most of my life someplace. What was it like to live on a farm? What was my favorite job? The most influential person in my life. Who do I feel closest to? What's the best decision I ever made? What's my favorite thing to do? What's my favorite food? What's my favorite sport? Turn the bears on for me on Sunday and I'm a happy camper. (laughs) And they always come on early and then I can watch my Broncos later. Important stuff, right? My favorite place in the world. You know, something you can always find in my refrigerator. The thing I'm most proud of. And then ask yourself, where could somebody find this information out about me if they were caring for me? When I do these kinds of trainings to help caregivers be better and more skilled at what they do, this is the key. You use questions like this and then say to yourself, if I needed somebody to find that out about me and I couldn't talk, where would they find this information out? And how important would it be for somebody to know I like to shower two times a day or that I pray, you know, when I get up in in the morning and I pray at lunchtime and I pray at dinner? And how would somebody know that if I couldn't communicate? Well, therein lies the problem of the people you're caring for. For the most part, they can't communicate with you. So you have to figure out where can you find this information out Once you reflect on how it feels when others know or don't know this stuff about you, would you feel a little bit more comfortable in the care of a person who knows something about you, that knows your history, that knows your likes and dislikes, and share these reflections with your staff. Share it with your administrator If you're not doing this kind of care, this is person-centered care. It's important. It's important. You can't be a caregiver if you don't take the time to care to find out about who that person is. Seeking information about somebody is the single best thing that you can do. And it will help you to identify what techniques you need to use to help that person cope with whatever problems that come up throughout the day and be able to do it much more effectively and communicate with them in a much more positive way. So even helping the residents to get to know you by you know, saying, hey, the best thing about me is this. I was born here. I lived most of my life there. My favorite job was this or that. Let them know a little bit more about you. You may find some common ground with that person. 
questionnaires are fantastic. Training classes are fantastic. And talking about the staff uh, interactions throughout the day with the residents is incredibly important. Incredibly important. And especially knowing if that person has an original language, you know, how far did they go in school, what kind of music do they like, did they play an instrument, do they hold any prejudices, racial or religious, is there going to be some kind of a barrier that you need to overcome if um, they don't or haven't in their life been around you know, people from your country. Don't take it personally. Get to know them. Learn about it. And be the best caregiver you can be. I love training caregivers with no experience because then I don't have any bad habits to overcome. And it makes learning so much easier. And I really appreciate and care deeply for people who are willing to spend time in a community and love on and and take care of my people who have cognitive impairment and memory loss. So I hope this has been helpful for you today. Uh, if your community needs any training, I can do it virtually. I can do it on Zoom. I can do a lot of different ways of of being able to get training to your communities. Um, I haven't really tried it per se around the world, but uh, doesn't mean it couldn't happen. So if you are in a situation where your staff needs help or you are a caregiver in a group home and you want to provide your owner with more options for training, I'd be happy to help. Contact me at Jill at summitresiliencetraining.com or 303-420-6988. And I would be delighted to work with all of you. Well, with that, I will see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.